0: So I hope you've been able to join us in our walk through the Word this year. And I, I tell you, every time I read the Word, I find new things that I've not noticed before. Um, and one of the things that's interesting as we work through the text this morning, uh, most of us are familiar with the Decalogue, or if you will, the Ten Commandments. We're going to be touching on that this morning. But there's some things around it that I thought were uh, very, very eye-opening to me as I was working through the text. And, and I just wanted to kind of start off this morning by asking a question. Want to ask a question? Um, Have you ever worked in a job where you had specific conditions that were required for you to get that job? You had to meet certain requirements to have that job, right? Like you had to wear a certain uniform, you had to be able to lift, you know, 50 pounds at least, whatever it is, or you know, you had to work well under pressure. I always liked that one. You need to work well under pressure. I'm going, man. Does everybody work well under pressure? I know a lot of people don't work well under pressure, so I don't know if they should qualify for many jobs. I love that, that, that qualification. Another one is familiarity with the program that that, that company may be hiring you for. Let's say you, you know, you're working in the office. You might need to know Word, Excel, things like that. Um, follow certain company rules. Anybody ever been in a company where there's specifically a, a company manual that's handed to you, and you, you have to follow these rules, if you will? Um, you know, Cell phone out only during break time that most people seem to break that rule in the company. Um, used only for emergencies, Right. Only for emergencies it 's an emergency. I need to check the score you know <laughs> so, yeah it 's an emergency right? I need to know how they 're doing and see the thing is is we know that many of us have gone through different you know different experiences in our life and if we 've ever worked a job there are, there are job requirements right there are certain conditions that need to be met how can how can we Many times fo- uh, follow through on those conditions If many times we don't know what they are Have you ever been in that situation in, in a job before Where someone says here's this rule um, You broke it And you didn't even know the rule existed yeah. Anybody ever have that happen and Sadly I've done that to other people Oh yeah by the way you can't wear jeans to Grace Academy And well where's the manual I don't have one yet So you know you have to, you have to you know, Be able to clearly state What the expectations are And you know here's what's amazing about our God and who he is. He gives us clear conditions that need to be met. He does not mince words. He does not make leave us confused. He gives us complete, solid standards for us to follow. And what ends up happening is most of us that say, I didn't know that. It's because we didn't read this. Okay, It's not because it's not plenty for you to understand. Because there's a lot in here. Um, It's because most of us have not read it, that's why we use the argument, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Well, you're not sure because you may not have read it. Now, are there things that you may not clearly understand that sometimes the Word of God says? Of course. I think some things are very clearly understood but not applied by us. In fact, most, most Christians are thrilled with some new truth that they're learning, and yet very much unaware of the truth they're not applying they already know. And sadly, what happens is when we do that, what God looks at when it comes to His children, He says, look, I gave you these instructions, they're very clear. Why aren't you following them? You're wanting something new. Work on the things I've already revealed to you clearly. You know, and this is one of the reasons why I, I, I say this multiple times. I'll probably keep saying that in this church. Before we can reach the world, we need to love one another the way we ought to. Before we can reach the community, we need to love each other the way we ought to. And I think the problem is, is a lot of people want to go do the big things for God. They don't want to do the mundane every day. A lot of people want to go reach the world and make a difference in the world, and they're not making a difference in their family. They want to go reach somebody out there when the person next to them, they can't stand. It's to our shame. It's to our shame, church, that we want to reach everyone else but the ones that Christ has placed in our vicinity. And as we open the text this morning, I want us to be aware of one thing that I think we constantly forget. What God gave to Israel, they're there for our example today. They're there for our example today. To remind us that we have the same proclivities that they do. That we disobey as frequently as they did. That we tend to slip up in our commitments to God like they did. And that God is still gracious to restore us again. So as we open the text this morning, I want you to understand we're going to be looking at a few different things here. We're going to look at the promise in Exodus 19, 3 through 6. We're going to look at the commitment in Exodus 19, 7 through 8. The consecration, Exodus 19, 10 through 24. The expectation, which is the Decalogue itself. Genesis 20, 1 through 17. And then number 5, the renewal, Exodus 24, 3. So number 1, the promise. Let's read the the text here, Exodus 19, 3 through 6. We'll read here in a moment. But I want to kind of make sure I set the tone here correctly. How many of you know that the Mosaic Covenant here that's established is very different from the Abrahamic Covenant that was spoken of in Genesis chapter 12? How many of you know that? There's a difference between the two. And I think it's important that we break that out this morning because what happens is a lot of people merge the two together as if they're one. Very dangerous to do so. As soon as you merge the two into one, you've made an unconditional covenant conditional. And you've nullified what God said originally with something else. So here we go. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Let's read this together. It says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis chapter 15, but also in Genesis 17, 1 through 8. Listen to this text. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you, and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying... As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and the kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your descendants after you, and their generations. For an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land. In which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So you see there that God is making a promise, a promise to Abraham, unconditionally that He is going to do these things in in His life and ultimately in the future. Beyond even His life, there's going to be a blessing that's attached that God unconditionally promises here. Look in Exodus chapter 19, verses 3 through 6, where we are today. This is the Mosaic Covenant, if you will. And it says, And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine." And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So I want to make sure that we make some distinctions here in the two different covenants. The Abrahamic covenant is a promise of descendants, land, and blessing. The ultimate blessing is the Messiah. That's the ultimate blessing in the Abrahamic covenant. The Mosaic covenant which we're reading, we just read here in Exodus, is the promise of being a special treasure, a unique benefit of favor from Yahweh. Kingdom of priests, a mediator to the surrounding nations, and holy nation, a separate and distinct group of people from any other nation on earth. Those are the two specific things that are very different in these two covenants. But the biggest difference is the words, I will and if you will. One is God promising by himself, and the other is saying, if you do these things, then this is going to happen. One is God swearing by himself, and the other is conditional based on Israel's obedience. Do not tie those two together. They are not the same thing. Let me reemphasize this. They are not the same thing. And as soon as people tie those two things together... They are negating the Abrahamic covenant as being unconditional. Because God actually walked through the sacrifices himself. He committed by himself that he was going to fulfill that covenant. So you have to understand that when this covenant was made. The Mosaic covenant with the nation of Israel. There's a specific thing there for them. That they're going to be a special group of people. That they're going to be a mediator to the nations. That was not an original promise from the Abrahamic covenant. There's a specific thing that you and I need to pay attention to, and this is what we see in verse in in the second point in the commitment. In in verses seven through eight, notice what it says here. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and said before them all, all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. Aren't these the same people that were just complaining? Do you see how it's important to read the Word of God in context? This is the same group of people that kept complaining, complaining, complaining. And then Moses, here's what's interesting about this text right here this is before God gives them all the law. Uh, That's some faith there, congregation. Before God even tells you what to do, you're committing to do it. It's a big statement by this nation. Uh, We don't even know what he's about to say, but whatever it is, we will do. Wow, there's a little pride there? Like, you don't even know what he's about to say. You don't even have a clue. You were just complaining about no water. You were just complaining that God brought you out to the desert to kill you, and now you're going to trust him and do whatever he says? Don't tell me we haven't had those moments of desperation. Right? We have those moments of desperation. How many of you ever, ever, ever paid attention that you've said, Lord, whatever you want, I'll do. And then when God clearly tells you what he wants, you don't do. There's a rejection of what God actually gave you. These people had such a commitment that instead of complaining... That it's too hard. They committed to it before knowing the conditions. They committed before knowing. All the things that God was about to unpack for them. They're very bold. Especially when you read. The first five books. Of the Old Testament. Starting in Exodus through Deuteronomy especially. My word. Committing to all of that a bold statement, very bold statement. Let's dig a little there. Is there a problem for us sometimes? Do we commit to God before we have the details? Do we? We do, right? Lord, wherever you lead me, I will follow. Whatever you want me to do, God, I will do it. And how many of us have done this? God reveals something very clear that he wants us to do. And we're going, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. Lord, something else. Anything else? Anything else, Lord? I will follow something else. Not this one right here. Like, I'm not hospitable, Lord. You know me and people. I can't stand people. I don't want to be around them. You're not calling me to do that, right? No, 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 no. Anything but that. Slow to speak. Slow to wrath. Quick to hear. I'm just going to hear people. I don't want to talk to them. I just want to hear people, Lord. I'm going to apply that verse. Do you see how it's easy for us to go, Ah, yeah, God will do whatever you want, but that. The nation of Israel committed to all of this before they even got the Decalogue from God. So point number three, the consecration. Moses here is instructed to tell the nation of Israel to consecrate themselves, separate themselves to the Lord. In fact, they had two days of preparation that had to happen. It was both inward and outward. They had to cleanse themselves from within and also cleanse themselves on the outside. Let's read verses 10 through 25. It says Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around saying take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death not a hand shall touch him but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow whether man or beast he shall not live yes that's in the bible when the trumpet sounds long they shall come near the mountain so Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people and they washed their clothes And he said to the people, be ready for the third day, do not come near your wives. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through the gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. And let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. But Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, Away, get down, and then come up, you and Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest you break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. You see, here's what happens here is God is asking them, Okay, you've committed? You've committed? It's time to consecrate yourselves. If you want to dedicate yourself to the Lord, if you want to do what God says, then you need to separate from certain things. The reason why most Christians can't follow God's word consistently is because the the world constantly distracts them from what God wants to do. The reason why most of us don't want to follow through on our commitment to the Lord when it comes to following His word is because we have other things that we prefer as preference over His word. And we haven't done what they were told to do here is consecrate themselves, separate themselves. If you want to spend time with God, you need to separate that from all the other stuff you're doing in your day. Some people try to do devotions with loud stuff behind the scenes. It just never works well. You can't hear from God clearly if you've got distractions like the TV on and some other stuff in the, in the other room or your children This doesn't work well. You need to find the best time in your day to hear from God and consecrate yourself. Separate yourself to the Lord. This isn't just something they are supposed to do. We're supposed to do this. In fact, the very famous verse that everybody quotes, sanctify yourselves and be ready to give an answer to every man that asks of you a reason of the hope that's in you. Sanctify yourselves. It's important before you answer somebody else that you're separate. That's one of the problems of the church. Everybody's trying to be so cool and reach in the world, but they're not separate. Everybody's trying to fit in with everybody else's style and not separating themselves to the Lord. What's interesting here, and I think it'd be something that we need to think through as a culture, they had to work on the inside, and they also had to clean up the outside. We had to dress a certain way before they would hear more from God. Maybe that's something for us to think about as we come before God. Sometimes we're a little too casual in America. You know, whatever, whatever t-shirt and shorts we can throw on, let's go. Maybe we're not taking worship seriously. I'm not jumping into legalism folks but I'm telling you there are certain things that you and I need to take in the word of God and step back and go, are we doing something wrong number four the expectation this is going to be the bulk of our time here the expectation is the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, the ultimate standard if you will for the Jewish people we're going to read verses 1 through 17. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. And you shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children through the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. But showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth So here's the big expectation, God. We're gonna do whatever you want us to do. Okay, consecrate yourselves, separate yourselves to me. Okay, we're gonna do this. And here we go, the Ten Commandments. Everybody's familiar with them if they've been around the church any any length of time. But folks, every single one of this, and the only one that's probably debatable is the Sabbath. That's not really reemphasized as much in the New Testament. Still applies to us today, whether it's under the format of the Ten Commandments, which we don't follow the law, but Jesus reemphasized it with a higher standard under the law of grace, if you will. Okay? God's called us to grace, but that grace actually is a higher standard than what we even have here. And the problem with most of the church today is they look at the Ten Commandments and go, we don't have to follow that. Uh, the standard is a lot higher in the New Testament, it's not lower. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to do what? Fulfill it. And in his, in his fulfillment, he got to set the standard for us. And his standard is actually higher than the standard that Moses was given here. You have to think through that, believer. You tend to say, well, I don't have to follow the stuff the Old Testament did. All these Jewish people had all these ceremonial things. And all. You're right. God calls you to more." God goes as far in in, in 1 John telling you that if you hate your brother, you're guilty of murder. You like that standard? So let's go through these. Number one, you shall not have other gods before me. Verse number three. Is it possible that in this culture, these people were worshiping other gods? Contextually, very possible. Here's why. Back then, most of these people came from polytheistic backgrounds. They worshipped multiple gods. In fact, Abraham, if you read his story, was doing that when God called him. If you read through the text later on, you see, I don't know if you remember when we were reading through it, Rachel hides some of the idols. We'll talk about that in a second here. They had all these, if you will, foreign gods that they intertwined with... Jehovah. And what God is telling the people here, okay, you've committed to obeying me. No other gods. You worship me exclusively. The moment a believer says there are multiple ways to God, they've lied to everybody else. And they've lied to themselves. There's a reason why when Jesus makes the exclusive statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, that when this was spoken to the Jewish people, they connected that later on, and that's what offended them. Jesus is making himself God, and telling them, no one's to be worshipped but God, and I am God. There's an exclusive statement here that's made, and most people like to play around with it when they're saved. Most believers play around with this text because they say, No, I love Jesus. I only worship him. Oh, do you? Let's count the ways you do. How much time did you spend with him, and how much time did you spend on all the things you like this last week? You know, there's a worship of self that goes on in the church that doesn't get called out enough. Oh, I know God wants me to love my neighbor. I know God wants me to love my spouse the way I ought to. I know God wants me to leave my family the way I ought to. But who are we worshiping? Myself, my needs, my wants, my desires. It's time to pull yourself off that throne, believer. Put Jesus back on it. Because he's always been there. In your heart, you need to put him back on. He's the one worthy of worship. You're not. You just failed yesterday. Maybe even this morning. You're not worthy to be worshipped. Not a single one of us in here is worthy to be worshipped. And yet we worship ourselves on a more frequent basis than we would like to admit. No other gods before me. Number two. You shall shall make no idols. We've talked about this before. There are many different forms of idolatry in the world today. Parents, your children can be your idols. You put all your stock in them. They're going to do sports one day. They're going to do music one day. They're going to be amazing people for for God in all these things. And you put your trust in that. Instead of God Almighty. And when your children fail you, your heart breaks more than it ought to. Because now your idol didn't perform. They didn't get to do what I wanted. And what happens is many of us are no longer proud because they're not living what we wanted them to live. Your faith is not in your children, parents. They're not. Nor is it in those above you. My faith is not in my parents either. As good of a job as they did in raising me, my dad and my mother cannot do what God can do for me. It's not in your job. It's not in all these things that we put in the status as an idol. For some of us, it's comfort. We just want the easy, lazy boy couch. That's our idol. I want that every day. I don't want to do anything. Give me that every day. I want to relax. Don't ask me to work for the kingdom. Don't even dare. I work three hours. I'm exhausted. Our idol is comfort. We've talked about this before. Some people idolize control. They want to make sure everything in their life they control. People around me better know that I'm in charge. Because I like power. Because I want to be in power. Because I want people to know that what I expect is what they better do. Shame on us when we expect things from people God doesn't expect. Shame on us when we expect from others what God has expected from us, but we only call others out for it. No other idols. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, most Christians, if they've grown up in the church for a while, they think it's OMG we're referring to. Okay? Uh, It's more than that. Let me give you a practical thing that I think many times we miss in the church that many of us ...sort of dance around as a a real potential issue for our lives. When you and I pray, I want you to ask yourself how many times you repeat Lord in your prayer. And I want you to count that one time. And you're going to be shocked how much you're taking God's name in vain by just simply doing that. You never talk to your spouse that way. Hey, honey, 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 honey. Imagine talking to somebody like that and mentioning their name every five seconds. And that's how we pray. You think that the only way you can take God's name in vain is by using it in a a derogatory fashion that the world does? That's not the only way. Another way is in repetitiously using God's name in vain by just blurting it as a filler word in your prayer. The Jewish people had a reverence for God's name that American Christianity does not today. They don't. They were afraid to speak it. Never mind write it. And the church today just uses it all the time. Jesus, Jesus, in vain. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. It isn't just the world that does it, believer. It's us. Keep the Sabbath day holy. This is one that's debated quite a bit. But it's important to recognize here in the text that one of the things that's stated that's interesting... Is that God puts a priority on you having rest? It was designed for your benefit. Could you imagine God has a rule that He set up that's actually to your benefit big time for you to rest? And most of us don't use it? Like, man, sign me up! Yeah! Give me a day of rest! And yet we're not doing that. Most of us are so busy, we don't take time away from everything, we're too busy. You know, we're go-getters. We've got to get everything done. And God just goes, rest. Think of me. Worship. Don't do all this work. It's a balance that most of the church doesn't have. You have the few that live in rest, that don't do anything for the kingdom. And you have those that overindulge in work and never rest. Church, we need to be able to rest once in a while. Gotta set it up that way for a reason. And it's not like he was exhausted, but we get exhausted. He never grows weak or weary. <laughs> That's him. We do. Here's a big one. Honor your father and your mother. How we doing, folks? How are we doing in honoring our parents? You're out of the house now. You're married. You have your own family. does not stop you from honoring your parents. does not stop you from honoring your parents. But you don't know. God knows. You're right, I don't know. God didn't put it in there with you as the exception. God put it in there because He wanted the people to understand that this is a big deal to Him. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder... Well, most of us in here say, we're not guilty of this one. We haven't actually, we don't have that on our rap sheet, yeah. But do you? Do you hate someone? Do you have ill hatred towards another brother or sister in Christ? Because that's where Jesus takes the standard in the New Testament and says, you're guilty of murder. And what's interesting in 1 John, I believe, it says that the person that says that has no life abiding in him. It says, I don't. I didn't murder anybody, but I hate them. And it says the eternal life is not even abiding in a person like that. If you have a hatred towards somebody that you can't get over, that's a big, big red flag when it comes to your soul. And you need to pay attention to that. You shall not commit adultery. Well, many of us will say, well, I'm not really guilty of this one either. Well, Jesus raises the standard of that as well. It says if you look in lust towards someone, you've committed adultery with them. I'm sure we've never done that, right? Like, that's just not what the church does. We're better than that. Let me tell you, church, all the letters that Paul writes to all the different churches, he mentions sexual morality in all of them. Because it's a problem in every church. It's something that needs to be consistently dealt with in the church. It's not an easy task to keep up with something like that because that's one of the things that people don't want to admit to they want to hide, they don't want everybody else to know and there's the reason why you and I need discipleship that's the reason why you need to be around other brothers and sisters are going to encourage you in your faith most people that fail in ministry is because they're walking alone and nobody's alongside with them and they stop reading the word they stop praying and one, oh, I don't know what happened very obvious what happened accountability wasn't there There's a reason why discipleship is important. You shall not steal. I'm not guilty of that anymore. It was like that when I was a kid. You know, I stole a piece of gum, stole from a store. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not stealing. Um, I read Malachi. Read Malachi. You know how you and I can rob God? By not giving him what's his. People are like, well, the tithe doesn't apply anymore. You're right. There's a lot of other things that he wants you to do. In fact, the New Testament church gave more than the Old Testament did. Oh, 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 yeah, you want to live like the church did? Do it. We're not even doing the Old Testament standard, never mind the new one. You rob God by not giving him what's his. I rob God when I don't give him what's his. It's called stealing. Last time I checked, we all agree as believers that the Lord is the one that gives us the things that we have, Right? Well, if he does give us the things that, he, that we have, why do we tech, constantly take credit for them? You're right. You worked really hard. Believer, you could have been born an invalid and not had the opportunity to work. God gave you good, good hands and feet to do the job. What are you doing to please him with it? Don't steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor... good name is rather be chosen than great riches. And when you and I destroy someone else's name, we're doing major damage to somebody. If you're bearing false witness against somebody, you're destroying the very thing that matters the most to them. Believer, it's very, very important that we take caution here that we don't bear false witness against people. If certain things are verifiable by facts, that's one thing. But if you don't know for sure, don't say it. Check your facts. We all have assumptions made, right? Am I the only one that assumes things? We all assume certain things about people. And it isn't when we have the one-on-one and we talk that we hear their heart and we know what they're going through. There are so many people that make bad assumptions about other people because they haven't had a dialogue with them in a while. And so they start assuming the worst. Most of the time when two, two people haven't spoken for a quarter, you know a quarter of a year or more, it's typically a negative response when they connect again. Well, you haven't connected with me. I haven't connected with you. You must have not wanted to talk to me. All these weird assumptions that we come up with. Don't bear false witness. Don't say something that's not true about someone else. It's a big deal. Number ten, I'm sure nobody is guilty of this one. Um, You shall not covet. What are the things that are listed here in coveting? So, says, your neighbor's wife, male servant, female servant, we don't have that today. But his ox, you know what that would be? Or his donkey, that would be kind of like the tr- method of transportation. I had a roommate that kind of made me laugh about this. He says, ah, are you coveting this? You know, and he used the King James vernacular, if you will. Um, the reality yeah. is, is we have, we have these things that we look at it as, with other people and we covet those things because we don't have them ourselves. And here's what's interesting. It says, nor anything that is your neighbor's. It's like, you know, if I'm going to build a list, I'm going to make sure I put that in there in case you have exceptions every time. The Lord kind of, anything else that's your neighbor's. Anything that someone else has is in this list. Well, I'm not coveting the neighbor's wife. That's not a problem for me. I'm not coveting their method of transportation. Uh, Nor anything that is your neighbor's. Okay, maybe they have a few things that I covet other people have. Maybe. For those of you that don't go on vacations, it's the vacation someone has. For those of you that don't have the extra finances, it's the money someone has. For, you, for those of you that have a horrible, frustrating experience with the relationships, it's the relationships others have. Anything, anything that is your neighbor's. How are we doing? Is that a problem for us? You know, are we coveting what other churches have that we don't have here? It's something to consider. God's blessed us. Why do we covet so much? So number five, renewal. We're going to be done. Chapter 24, verse 3. Look at this. This is after God gives them all these ceremonial laws and the Ten Commandments. Chapter 24, verse 3 says, So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said we will do. There's a renewal there, a recommitment, if you will. People once again reaffirmed their commitment to the covenant that they were partaking in. And Moses seals that covenant by sprinkling the blood on the people. Interesting point of application here. People committed to obedience before they heard from the Lord, and they recommitted after they heard from the Lord. So here's a question for you. Do you and I commit to the Lord before he clearly tells us what he wants us to do? And when he does, do we recommit to do what, he, what we said originally we were going to do? Look, every one of us in here fails to keep the law. It's kind of the whole point in the New Testament. It was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ because here's what's interesting. These people were so confident they were going to do it. Oh, they butchered it so bad. Guess what they got to do for 40 years in the wilderness? Wonderful experience, right? There's a nice portion of your life in the desert, wandering around. But I told God I was going to do what I was going to do. Whatever he said, I was going to do it. Uh, You didn't do it. Keep walking. After hearing from God through his word, how much do you seek to renew your commitment to him? You see, you're responsible this morning when you hear God's word. Not because Pastor Roman brought this up, but because God's word holds you accountable. And in closing, I want to ask this specific thing. When was the last time you committed that you would do whatever God said? In sincerity, I'm not not saying, God, whatever it is you want, just take this problem away. That kind of desperation that many of us come to God with. But a sincere heart that says, whatever it is that you say, I will do, God. In fact, there's a major blessing attached to obedience, because God, through the writer of Hebrews, encourages us to do something very similar. As we read earlier in 1 Peter 2, 1-11, through 11, that we have the same blessing, if you will, that Israel had if we obey, that we get to be a mediator between God and man through Christ. God has blessed us with that priesthood. We get to literally offer sacrifices to Him, if you will. You get to come before the throne of grace and offer. Most of us as believers, we take it for granted that we've been given a calling by God. We're fine with being saved. We're fine with no longer being condemned with the world. But we're not in any way passionate to connect others to Him. What if today is the day of renewal for our commitment to God? What if we said, you know, we as a church, we're going to recommit to God to do whatever He wants us to do. What if we went back and looked at all His commandments and renewed our covenant with Him? How many of you have ever been to a renewed vows ceremony? Or at least heard of them, let's put it that way. Something beautiful, right? We celebrate it. Oh, if the church would do something like that. So, you know what, Lord? We've been unfaithful. But we're coming to you right now to renew our vow that we're going to commit to you. Because here's what's amazing the groom has always been faithful, the bride is not. The bride is always, always unfaithful. And yet, you know what? He continually extends grace after grace after grace. It hasn't been Jesus that's failed to keep his promise. It's been us. I don't know why we blame him for our tough circumstances. It was our foolishness that got us in the situations we're in. His word is very clear. He never breaks his promise. So here's the question as we close before we go to Lord's Supper. If God himself asks you to do certain things... And you have not followed through. Maybe today is the day to commit again to Him. Maybe today is the day that you renew that commitment to Christ. And say, Lord, I will do whatever you say. Even if it costs me. Even if it's difficult. Even though I know I will fail at times. I will get back up, Lord, and I will trust you. And I will do whatever it is that you call me to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this... Encouragement that we see from Moses and the people of Israel and their commitment to you. Father, we know that we have constant struggles as a church with many things that many of us don't even know exist in our hearts. And we know that your word constantly calls us and beckons us to do more and to sanctify ourselves and to consecrate ourselves to you and to separate from the world to you, Lord, and we constantly... Go back to the world for the easy way. We ask this morning that as we come to your remembrance of your death, burial, and resurrection, that we would be reminded that Jesus paid it all. And we owe all to him. We ask this all in his name.